0: Acts 25, beginning at verse 24, and we're continuing through chapter 26. Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man, the whole Jewish community has petitioned me about him in Jerusalem and here in Caesarea, shouting, that he ought not to live any longer i found he had not done nothing deserving of death but because he made his appeal to the emperor i decided to send him to rome but i have nothing definite to write to his majesty about him therefore i have brought him before all of you and especially before you king agrippa so that as a result of this investigation I may have something to write. For I think it is unreasonable to send a prisoner on to Rome without specifying the charges against him. Then Agrippa said to Paul, You have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hand and began his defence. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defence against all the accusation of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. The Jewish people all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child, from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify, if they are willing, that I conform to the strictest sect of our religion, living as a Pharisee. And now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our ancestors that I am on trial today. This is the promise our twelve tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. (coughs) King Agrippa, it is because of this hope that these Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that's just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time, I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven Brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. Then I asked, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and to, as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins, and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So then, King Ripper, I was not a bit disobedient to the vision from heaven, first to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea and then to the Gentiles. I preach that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. That is why some Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But God has helped me to this very day. So I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I'm saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer, and as the first to rise from the dead, would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense out of your mind Paul he shouted your great learning is driving you insane I'm not insane most excellent vestus Paul replied what I am saying is true and reasonable the king is familiar with these things and I can speak freely to him I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, Do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, Short time or long, I pray to God, that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. The king rose, and with him the governor and Benice and those sitting with them. After they left the room, they began saying to one another, This man is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. Agrippa said to Festus, This man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar.
1: As we come to think about about this part of scripture, uh, let's pray. Father, as we come to your word this morning, I pray that you would open our ears, that we might be willing to hear it, and that you would soften our hearts, that you would change us with it. Amen. Well, as we've been reading through Acts, I've kind of got developed mixed feelings towards Paul. On the one hand, he's doing amazing things for God. He's spreading the gospel far and wide. He's doing evangelism and planting churches. I love Paul's enthusiasm, but he has boldness that I just don't. It makes me feel inadequate, jealous. What is it that he has? but I don't. Imagine if everyone here at St Matthews behaved like Paul. If everyone had the same vision, the same drive that Paul does. Shenton Park would be a very different place. And Paul's example actually makes me feel a bit guilty. Shouldn't I be like that? Why aren't I like that? And this week we see Paul on trial. He's stuck in prison His life is in danger. But even there, he is still boldly proclaiming the gospel. So we're going to look at Paul and look at how he sees his mission. And look at how he defends himself in this very difficult situation. And hopefully in there we'll get a glimpse of why he's different. So firstly, Paul's mission Now, this isn't a completely new situation for Paul. He's faced danger and he's faced prison before. But this is a little bit different. Before those situations came, and then they went. But this goes on and on. Trial after trial. Two long years in prison. And so we've almost got to ask the question, is this it for Paul? He was given a mission. Take the gospel to the Gentiles. Has that mission ended? Has it even failed? Well, let's look at Paul's mission, as defined by Jesus. When Paul was converted way back in chapter 9, Jesus said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings, and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he might suffer for my name. Now, if you've been reading along with the missionary journeys, you'll know Paul has proclaimed Jesus to the Gentiles and to the Jews, the Israelites. But the kings of the Gentiles? Until now, that hasn't happened. But his trials here actually give him the chance to do just that. We see him here on trial before a king, before King Agrippa, the son of Herod, who caused so much trouble for Peter and James. And more than that, he's made an appeal to Caesar. He's a Roman citizen. He has the right for the emperor to oversee his trial. And so he'll get sent to Rome and get the chance to testify before the emperor himself. What looks like on the surface defeat for Paul is anything but. God is using this imprisonment and this suffering to allow Paul access to the highest levels of government. And Paul seizes that chance with both hands. Look down at the last exchange Paul has with King Agrippa, down in verses 28 and 29. Verse 28, Then Agrippa said to Paul, Do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, Short time or long. I pray to God that not only you, But all who are listening to me today may become what I am, that is a Christian, except for these chains. Paul's primary desire here is not actually his freedom. Had that been his desire, his appeal to Caesar was a mistake, since that's why Festus cannot set him free. But Jesus has something in mind for Paul. Paul has people listening to him right where he is listening to the gospel. Festus and Agrippa, they came here to hear Paul's testimony, something that would never have happened were he not a prisoner. And soon, he hopes, he'll be proclaiming Jesus' name, even in Rome. And so Paul is exactly where he wants to be, above his own freedom, his own suffering, his own well-being. Paul simply wants people to become what I am. He wants them to turn and follow Jesus. But what about us? If this is Paul's great desire, is it true for us as well? I think if you're a Christian, you know that this should be the case. We know our priority should be God's kingdom, that we should want everyone to hear the gospel. But it's not. Evangelism does not come naturally to most of us. But why? Well, I think some of you are a little bit like me. Our problem is worry and fear. Fear for ourselves. Now, we live in a time and a place, unlike Paul, where we're unlikely to be physically harmed or locked up for being Christian. But still, we're often reluctant to talk about our Christianity because we fear even social problems awkward situation, rejection, ruining of friendships. To use myself as an example, a few years ago, I was on campus at Murdoch for a mission. We were there to help out the Christian Union. And our task while we were there was walk up evangelism. We were set loose. Go tell people about Jesus. Tell people the gospel. And I imagine Paul in that situation, he would be thrilled. He would run to Bush Court, right in the centre of Murdoch, excited, keen to talk to anyone, hopeful that someone, somewhere might be willing to listen, but me? I was so nervous. I nearly threw up. I was terrified. I was worried that someone I didn't even know might think I was a fool. I was dreading even one failure, one awkward conversation. There's no comparison. Paul risked his life over and over and over again for the sake of the gospel. He certainly was rejected, and it didn't bother him. But I wouldn't even risk my dignity, and not even before my friends, before strangers, people I'd never see again. I was so worried that they might reject me. I found it difficult even to start. My problem is fear. But I think there's something else that stops us too. We might say to ourselves something like, I would love to tell my friends about Jesus. But I'm not Paul. I'm not Mike, I'm not Jeff. I don't know how. What would I say? What if I don't make sense? What if I can't answer their questions? Look, I put them off Jesus forever. Just because I don't know what I'm doing? Whichever of these problems you struggle with, I think there's something in Paul's speech, Paul's defense here, that is helpful for us. Something that can encourage us to be bold and fearless and be confident that we do have something to say. So let's look then at Paul's defense. So Paul was charged by the Jews with speaking against the law and the temple. And how would you expect Paul to answer this accusation? I remember way back in the start of Acts, Stephen faced exactly the same accusation. And he responded by talking about Israel's history. He builds a theological case. God had people before he had a law. And God is not confined to a temple built by human hands. And this is Paul's area of expertise. He knows the Old Testament very well. Surely he'd make a similar argument. But if you look at what he says, that's not what Paul does. He presents no grand argument from the Old Testament. Instead, he simply tells his own story. Paul's defense is Paul's testimony. His aim in doing this is not just apologetic. He's not just trying to defend himself. His aim is also evangelistic. He wants to present the gospel. He wants those who hear him even here in this courtroom, to become Christians. So let's take a closer look at his testimony. We can divide it up into three sections. His life before Jesus, his encounter with Jesus, and then his response to Jesus. So first off, his life before Jesus, verses 4 to 11. Paul tells us two things about his life before he met Jesus. Firstly, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was dedicated to God's law. Look at verse 5. He tells us in verse 5, I conformed to the strictest sect of our religion, living as a Pharisee. Paul had been very serious about being a Jew. He was very well known, in fact, for how strictly he follows God's law. But despite his outward dedication to God, Paul does not think highly of himself. Look a little further down at verse 9. I was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished and I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. Paul's message here was straightforward. I was just like these other Jews, the ones who are now accusing me of speaking against the law. I worked hard, yes, to keep God's law and to keep every commandment. But really, I had missed the point. Despite all my zeal, despite all my hard work. I didn't understand. I was God's enemy. Paul is saying what I'm teaching now that causes them to accuse me of blaspheming the law, that's actually more in line with God's law than what I thought then. Because it's more in line with the God who gave the law. After all, as he says in verse 7, it is because of my hope what God has promised our ancestors, that I am on trial today. That's just it. It's not Paul who is speaking against God's law. It's the other Jews. They have missed the point. They are God's enemies because they are opposing God's promises. And Paul, Paul was just like them. And then Paul met Jesus. This is the heart of Paul's testimony. Paul casts himself as the villain, the bad guy. Paul opposed God. Paul mistreated the Lord's people. And then here we see the hero enter. Jesus, come to defeat the villain. But Jesus does not come to destroy the villain. Jesus comes to save the villain. Look at what Jesus says to Paul in verse 15. Verse 15, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. There is no talk here of condemnation or punishment for Paul, despite what he's done. Rather, he's forgiven, given a place amongst God's people once more. And not just any place, a special place, a special task, a servant and a witness. And notice here how he centres what he says around the gospel. What happens to Paul is gospel-shaped despite the harm he has done, despite his opposition to God and persecution of Jesus. He faces no punishment. And he goes on to specify his task in verse 17. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. His testimony is a chance for him to tell the gospel to all who are listening. And thirdly, Paul tells us about his response to Jesus. This can be broadly summarised as obedience. He did what Jesus instructed him. And we've seen the results of that over the last month. New churches, new gatherings of Christians all over the Eastern Roman Empire. So many Gentiles coming to Jesus that the Jews in Jerusalem knew about it and decided he was harmful. But God continues to protect him because his task is not finished. He says in verse 22, So I stand here and I testify to small and to great alike. And so he finishes his speech by testifying once more to what he is saying. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen. That the Messiah would suffer and as the first to rise from the dead, would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. This is a beautiful summary of his case. He answers the charges again by saying that everything he has done is in accordance with Moses and the prophets. But he also takes the opportunity to testify one last time to the work of Jesus, the Messiah, the one God has raised from the dead. So that's Paul's defence, that's what he says. But how does that help us if we don't have the same desire? Paul does. If I struggle with fear and worry, if I refrain from sharing the gospel because I might be hurt or I might lose my dignity or I might lose my friends, what is Paul telling me? I think if that's our problem, what we're missing is Paul's before picture. Look at Paul's self awareness. He doesn't try to cover up his sin. He doesn't act like it's smaller than it is. He doesn't sideline it or ignore it. He faces it head on. He says plainly, I was God's enemy. I opposed the Lord's people. I persecuted them. I arrested them. I put them to death. By facing his sin head on, Paul knows two things he knows God's love, he knows God is in the business of saving sinners. Because he is one. And Paul knows God's power, that even his greatest enemy, even the chief of sinners, as Paul calls himself, is not beyond God's reach. God can save even Paul. And God can use even Paul for good, despite all the damage he's done. And I've met a couple of people that are a little bit like Paul. They're fearless, determined to share the gospel and see people become Christian. And this conviction of their sin is also something they share with Paul. They know their own sin and their own unworthiness. An example of that is a guy I met at Trinity. He didn't come from a traditional Christian uh, background. For most of his life, he lived to party. He would work day by day then go out at night and party. His life was spent under the influence of a variety of mind-altering substances. And then he became a Christian and that all changed. God saved him out of that situation. And he feels his own sin very keenly. He will tell anyone who listens just how far from God he was and just how great Jesus is, because Jesus is the one who saved him. He's one of the few people I know who's keen not just on walk-up evangelism, going up to strangers and talking about the gospel, He even does street preaching. I can't imagine doing that, but he's excited about it. So if fear is something you're struggling with, I'd encourage you to reflect on your own life. Take a good hard look at what you were like before you were a Christian, at the person who Christ saved. That sounds like good advice in theory, but I find it very difficult to do because I don't have a clear before picture. I grew up as a Christian But I think that same principle can still apply. I may not remember my first meeting with Jesus, but I definitely have plenty of experience with my own sin. In writing this sermon, I read a bunch of different testimonies and I love the way John Piper puts this. He says, I am blown away by my conversion that I don't remember because of the unbelievable sinfulness of John Piper that I have watched for 61 years. I watched me for a long time, and I have hated the remaining corruption in me for a long time. There is enough corruption in us to make us tremble and to make us feel how incalculably horrible sin is and how precious grace grace is, and to be blown away that God broke into our life. So if you're looking for motivation to share the gospel, I think the key is understanding your own life without Jesus, your own sinfulness, your own heart that wanders, so you can understand just how amazing a saviour we have. And if you have the other problem, if you're looking for a way to present the gospel of knowing what to say, I think also we can learn something from what Paul does here. You don't necessarily need to be an expert. You don't need answers to all the tricky questions. Paul just tells his own story. And that's all you need to do to be able to say, this is what I was. But then I met Jesus. Look at the amazing difference that has made. But be a little bit careful when you think this through. Because when I tell stories about me, far too easily I try and cast myself as the hero. I want to be the good guy. I want to be happy with myself. So take a leaf from Paul's book. Jesus must be the hero of the story. I was in desperate need, but Jesus provided. I was the villain, but Jesus pardoned me. I opposed God, but Jesus transformed me. But what if my story isn't anything special. Surely this is easy for Paul. Look at the amazing story he has to tell. Or look at those Christians who become Christians after wild lives, after great sins or great troubles, who have dramatic stories. And this was my struggle for a very long time. I longed to have a story filled with that kind of drama, an interesting story that I could tell. But I grew up in a Christian family. My parents were Christians. They raised me as a Christian. I don't remember when I wasn't Christian. My testimony feels like it's nothing special. But again, I need to remember, I'm not the hero of the story. The story is not about me, the story is about Jesus. And so a more dramatic story does not mean a more successful testimony. We see that in this very passage. Paul has an amazingly dramatic testimony. He was a vicious enemy of God's people. There was a miraculous appearance of Jesus who confronted him. But what response did Paul get? Well, Festus interrupts him to tell him he's crazy, he's out of his mind. And Agrippa? He's almost as bad. He scoffs at Paul. Do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul's dramatic testimony just isn't effective. It doesn't work. But I know somebody for whom a testimony was effective. Our very own Mike Morgan. Part of his Christ- him coming to Christianity was hearing the testimony of a friend. And that got him interested. That got him investigating. Got him finding out about Jesus. And eventually he became a Christian. But testimonies are powerful. They can work. They are a good way of showing who Jesus is and what the gospel means. So I want to leave you today with some homework. As we go to lunch, I want you to think about your story, about your testimony. Use Paul's pattern. My life before Jesus. My encounter with Jesus. My response to Jesus. And over lunch, as you sit at your table, share that story with the people at your table. Because the more you practice it, the easier it will come when you have a chance to tell it to someone who doesn't know Jesus. And let's pray for God's help as we do this. Father, we know that it is your mission to save sinners. I pray that you would help us realise just how much it cost and how difficult it was for you to save us. And I pray that knowing that would give us courage to tell more and more people about how amazing Jesus
0: is. Amen.